it's it's really awesome. Blazers are having Pride Night. Makes me very proud to be a part of Rip City. Today's show is brought to you by WarbyParker.com. Get a free five-day home try-on at www.warbyparkertrial.com slash holdybackboard. Five pairs, five days, 100% free. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's real days of time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now. Hey, Brendel up the middle. Hey! Come on, everybody. All right, everybody, welcome to the 53rd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, here in rainy Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, in Southern Oregon, it's like a... It's like about to storm pretty hard. I went outside to get Taco Bell because I am poor and hungry, and it the the terrain is pretty nasty now. So I'm not I'm not liking this whole winter thing. Taco Bell is never the right choice. I used to get it sometimes. It would I would crave it. It would sound good when the Crunch Wraps first came out. They were so money. But then I started feeling like absolute trash after having it. So I'm on a strict no Taco Bell. Um, diet. I mean, I'll definitely go and I'll get. I'm I'm not a fan, or I am a fan of McDonald's. Get that Burgerville. I mean, I just I can't do Taco Bell. You know, I, I love Mexican food, but I cannot do Taco Bell. So for me, for me, my tum tum is very sensitive, and for some reason, I'm almost always okay with Taco Bell. Different strokes for different folks, I like, guess. I, I, I used to get, at my worst lactose intolerantness, I had like three peanut M&Ms and was done. I was so sick. But Taco Bell, the, the, the nasty restaurant it is, I don't think I've ever been sick from Taco Bell. Speaking of being sick, uh, Tuesday's game... Never happened. It happened, but it didn't matter um for those of you living under rock tuesday was election day and the blazers did play uh the phoenix suns it was actually from what i remember of a very thrilling game portland edged out a 124 uh 121 victory cj and dame probably played their best game together as a duo combining for uh, 71 points 10 assists 11 boards uh, 20 free throw attempts and seven threes, each playing 37 minutes. And they needed every one of those points because we don't play defense very much this season. So Portland exacted some revenge on the Suns, but Sage, I'm telling you, I was there with Olga in the stands and I thought it would be a good distraction from Election Day. Um, as you know, anybody who follows me on Twitter, I, I really did not want Trump to win. I was pro Hillary. Um, but it was more so of a love versus hate. I was, I would never vote for Trump, and anything I could do to keep him out of the office legally, I would have done. So as I'm sitting there and I'm watching the results come in, like your heart just starts sinking, and my stomach started getting up higher into my chest, and it just didn't matter. Like I was watching this brilliance on the court, and it was tough to normalize it. Usually, sports is a great distraction. Sometimes. It's it's not enough, and there were certain days that just take, I don't know, they just take over you, and life starts to matter a whole lot more than sports, and I'm telling you, as um, a straight white male, I know I have it better than, than anybody else on this planet, but I'm not, I'm hurting for myself, I'm hurting for all of my friends, 
um, like you say, you're a person of color, anybody who's LGBT, uh, you know, Muslims, anybody, women, anybody affected by this more so than white men, I, my heart just goes out to them. And that's why it was so hard to have a basketball game on the same night as the election. I went home. I got drunk. I'm thankful I have great coworkers because you, you drunk tweeted like a mug, bro. I, I'm shocked that I, I'm shocked that they're the worst mass deletions because you, oh, no. you you were all one. You were you were up in your feelings that night, and, and I mean, I was I was fucked up, but I still knew Twitter might not be have been the answer to get away from my sadness. So, I if you ask me anything about that Suns game. I didn't rewatch it. I have no idea. Maybe T.J. Uh, Warren did well. I I don't know. I I don't remember one stat because I was up in my feelings that game. But yeah, that 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 game is just out of my mind. As well as the Clipper game. I just there's no need to talk about the next one. Regardless of what happened, we would never talk about that Clipper game. Uh, the Clippers won one eleven to eighty. To be quite honest, it wasn't that close. I think at one time they were up on us 48 points. I mean, I was it was to the point where I was watching the game. I was hoping that one, we would score 70 points, and two, they wouldn't double us up. That's how bad they jumped out on us. And to be fair, Portland played uh, the night before. They exerted a lot of energy. And I think a lot of those team members were upset with what happened at the election. Um, they were probably mentally gassed. I... I couldn't barely watch the game. I, I tweeted out, the Blazers are playing like I feel. Shitty. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. The Clippers are the toast of the toast of the town, uh, playing the best basketball probably of that core's career, and we ran into a buzzsaw, so it was a perfect storm. Yes, the Clippers have beaten us twice already this season, but I think this game is an outlier. Um, you definitely have to take in everything, um, take all things into consideration when looking at this game, and just kind of that's one of the games you just throw away, you don't look at it, and you move forward. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think that's what the Blazers did, is they, they moved forward. And I kind of noticed that I was starting to move forward, too. You know, you have those couple days where, where you're moping around, and you know, you're, you're depressed. And you don't know if everything's going to be all right for the first time in a long time, but you've got to keep going. And I was thankful enough that I was at work on a Friday, I saw whoever is familiar with Slack. We use Slack at, at my work, and somebody posted, somebody posted the message, said, you know, at channel, uh, I've got two Blazer tickets available. Um, they were going to go to my friend, but they had a family emergency. Who wants them? Of course, your boy was the first one to slide in there. He was like, raise his hand. Um, so I got two amazing tickets, um, probably some of the best seats I've ever had. And, you know, it was a great game, and it was one of the first steps I took into finally moving forward and we jumped out on the Kings and it was almost like a carbon copy of that Suns game. We got a big lead, but we just keep letting teams come back in and Rudy Gay just lights up when he sees the trailblazers. Mm -hmm. He had 29 and 14 um, on 50% shooting, doing whatever he wanted. DeMarcus nearly won the game by himself. He was doing everything. I mean, Myers played great defense against this guy but he still had 33 and nine and it was those two versus of course, you know, Damon CJ who once again combined for 67, they hit seven threes dished out 12 assists 
and really did everything they could to keep us in that game. For a while, I thought we were going to lose. We were down six uh, midway through the fourth, but we got some stops. Dame just, he had a three in the corner against Ty Lawson where he just sized him up, did that quick hesitation, the step back, and just net. And as a defender, that's got to be so demoralizing because there is absolutely nothing you can do to defend that. And Sage, we've really seen Damian Lillard take his play to the next level. I mean, legitimate MVP um, probably should start in the All-Star game if it was up to the coaches. But what have you seen? And he, he continues to surprise us. Early on in the season, it was his rebounding. But what have you seen from him lately that you're just like, man, that, he is taking that to his next level. I just think it's his confidence and how he plays. He knows he's the baddest motherfucker on the court. Damn near every game he's in, he knows he is that guy. The, so just him showing, I'm the best. Ty Lawson's not going to stop me. I'm going to shoot this in his face. Or I'm going to pull up from the fucking logo and drain a three in your eye. Those are the type of things it just shows. Yeah, I know I'm better than y'all. I'm going to just prove it night after night after night after night. To me, it's two things for Dame. One, he's settling a lot less for that three-point shot. Early on in his career, he used to pull up way deep, um, out of rhythm, trying to get himself into rhythm from three, and it usually resulted in a brick. This year, he is attacking the rim with such just fearlessness and preciseness, and he's getting to that free throw line. I believe he is attempting 10.1 free throws a game. That's fourth best in the league. That was a huge weakness for Damian Lillard. I mean, that was the thing around the league is you can challenge Dame at the rim. He's not he, One, he won't finish in traffic, and two, the refs were shy to start giving him those superstar whistles. Well, those whistles are starting to come around, and also he's become one of the best finishers around the rim, whether it's Gobert, whether it's DeAndre Jordan, or DeMarcus Cousins. He is finding ways, new and old, Mm. to get the ball in the basket, and he just looks like he's playing at a completely different pace than the rest of the guys. The game looks like it comes so natural and so slow to him that he is... He's playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. One of the things I was pretty worried about when I looked at the Blazers team was how are we going to get those free throws? And Dame is manufacturing a lot of those points when the clock is stopped to just bury teams. So having that just helps because there's no other player other than CJ maybe you know a few times a game that can get to the rim and get a foul call. It's mostly just... We're working for that open shot. And if you're going to be a playoff team, you got to get those free buckets at the board. I mean, we saw what James Harden did for Houston two years ago. It's getting free throws hurts the opposing team because their best players are getting into foul trouble. So having Dame getting 10 free throws a game, that's five fouls going against, minimum five fouls going against the other team. And to be honest, Portland is seven and four right now. Without Dame, we might be one and ten, yeah, two and nine. We're we're really he saved us damn near every game besides that Memphis game. He is so elite that he is covering up for our deficiencies down low. Um, we are fouling a shit ton on defense. Um, the Kings attempted thirty five free throws. 
we just have not been able to rebound the basketball at all this year. Uh, Sacramento out-rebounded us 58-43. to 43. Uh, We gave up 13 offensive rebounds, 56 points in the paint. We were negative 18 in the paint, and that is why we are allowing these 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 lottery teams to hang around like Phoenix in Sacramento. Portland should have won this game comfortably. Anytime you get 70 and anytime you get 60 plus from your backcourt, mm-hmm. you should be beating teams by 10 plus because you know Mo Harkless is going to chip in. Mace is going to do his work. AC might get hot. Speaking of Mo Harkless, he is playing some really good ball this last week. You know, we actually had a I mean, that's a great transition because we actually had a fan question. Um I was kind of just asking people, you know, what's on your mind as we prepare to record for this episode. And Charlie um, at CD1042 just wants to talk about Harkless's crazy improved shooting. And I did some numbers um, real quick before this episode. And over his last five games, he's averaging 14.2 points. He's shooting 54.9% from the floor. That's 28 to 51, uh, 45.5 from three, uh, 10 of 22. 6.2 boards, 1.4 blocks. That is exactly why you go and lock him up for a, a long-term deal because, one, he is still super young, and, two, he embraces his role. And if he can become that knockdown shooter from three, you know you're going to get defense and rebounding from Mo Harkless. He really is becoming that D and three threat, that Damari Carroll. I, I Jake Browder type of player. Yeah, I think he is... He's playing at a level where he's definitely overpaying, uh, overplaying his contract. And especially with Chief out, he is our best defensive player by far. And he's got a lot on his shoulders without Alfaruk Aminu checking anybody. So it, it it's really good to see him play well because we need it. We're a little shorthanded. So keep playing hard, Mo, because it, it's a joy to watch because I, I know he's confident. He's taking threes that I didn't see him take last year. He's taking, he's driving. They're to the confident hooper. threes. He is not hesitating. He's catching and shooting. Or relentlessly attacking the rim, which is so important for this team. Did you see that drive? And we'll get to this game in a minute. But against the Nuggets, he took it coast to coast. Had a spin move, finished with the left. I was like, Mo, I love this. Keep it up, buddy. Yeah, I think he uh, tweeted like Mo with a heart face. After yeah, the play. as the O, because he is just playing at that third, that third best player level that we need. Mm-hmm. You know, I know early in the, earlier this year we had the podcast. You proposed the question: Who was the Blazers? Oh yeah, third? he's definitely I, the third now. Oh, third that best. was my guy. Yeah, and it's because I saw this potential. He's only going to become a better three point shooter, and he's he is our best defender. Um, we'll talk about this later against Nuggets, but I think the game really changed when we moved him onto Kenneth Reed because his quickness allowed him to keep the manimal off of the off of the backboards. Ken was and, eating. It was, it was damn near impossible for us to just put a body on him. So having yeah. Harkless there, because he's athletically, he could keep up with Kenneth. No, I think that's just a great transition. Let's just go right into it. Portland uh, did survive the Nuggets 112 to 105 to make it a 3-1 and um, record on, on this week, mm. and it was a strange game. Portland got down by 17 uh, in the second ha- second quarter, trimmed it to I believe seven at halftime. The guys all mentioned that Terry Stotts just 
chewed their asses out, and you could tell they played inspired basketball. That third but quarter it, was huge. It, that third quarter was huge, and it started with Harkless because, as you mentioned, Freed was eating. Uh, he ended with 18 and 14 and four blocks, but I think he had 15 and eight and just in the first quarter alone. Yeah, I mean, and he, five he offensive rebounds. With, he played with relentless swagger. I mean, the dude was coming out of nowhere, dunking on us, yelling in our faces. Like, he was like, I'm here. I'm ready to play. I'm showing out on your home court, and you aren't doing anything about it. So This is, what, this is one of his, remember, I played on the Olympic team games. This is also one of his you fucking picked Nolan Smith over me games. He's always had good <laughs> oh, games man. in Portland. Don't think this doesn't slip the mind of NBA players. They realize, hey, I probably should have went to place X. I went to Y. I'm going to show out every time I play against you. And that's what it was. But Mo switched on to him and really took him out of the game. He was really never heard of. But I want to ask you a question. This is moving away from Mo Harkless, but... Uh, Jokic went to um, Denver's head coach. His name is escaping me right now. Mike Malone. And said, I want to come off the bench. That first game against Portland, and I'm going to bring it up right quick, he was unstoppable. He yeah, looked, he was a dominant force. He looked like that that player that Denver was going to build around. Maybe not even look to trade. He looked like their future star. And it was the second game of the year. He had 23 points, uh, 50% shooting, 17 boards. Fast forward about two to three weeks. Off the bench, 26 minutes, no points, three field goal attempts, no free throw attempts, five boards, three assists. Sage, I I know you follow this kid and uh, you have really high hopes for him, but is it just the case of growing pains or how I saw two different players confidence mm. levels in him? I don't get it, man. I, when I saw Nurkic start, it was against Detroit. So there was a thought process. There was no need for Nurkic to start over the trailblazers since Jokic would have just been fine. I was reading our I have a family that doesn't really know Blazers stuff or basketball in general. And they wanted to talk to me because I had family over this week. And they were talking about this uh, 358, uh, the like they do politics and sports. They uh, had Jokic at 10 on the franchise players list. They had Dame at 15. And my God. Just like they screwed up the polls for the election, that's a pretty screwed up uh, ranking list, if you ask me. It's it's ridiculous that people like Ben Simmons, Jokic, are o- over people like Damian Lillard on these these top lists that I keep seeing. You can't be too cute. There's production that Damian Lillard has played has done that. Ben Simmons, Jokic, all these young players haven't even come close to. If you're trying to make a list of the top 10 franchise players, you got to put Dame in there before you get cute with Jokic. But to answer your question, I, I think that it's a mistake that uh, Jokic is coming off the bench. I thought Ken Fareed was his, – his role is super six-man off the bench. Do you think they're trying to boost his trade value? I because think they are they... definitely trying to show out. I was like, he would look great in the red and black. Would you really want Ken Freed? It depends on what you can get. I mean, 
I don't think his asking price is yeah, I don't think his price is super high right now. And really we need Ed Davis to play like he did against Denver. Um, I know he only had two points, but he had seven rebounds and two blocks in a steal. And it was really the first time all season where I felt comfortable with Ed Davis in the game. Other times this year, he has been lost on the boards. He hasn't been getting those second chance points, hasn't been finishing at the rim like we've come to know and love. He just has, he's been a shell of his former self. And I don't know if there's an undisclosed injury or if there's some sort of setback. but I wouldn't be surprised like, if he is just taking one for the team since there's injury issues with our bigs right now, that he's just playing when he doesn't have to. Because I, I think that that is something that he would do for this team, for a team. Oh, definitely. And Dame says if he could go to war, take anybody with him, it's Ed Davis. Like, Ed Davis is his right-hand man. Uh, and we, we need Ed Davis. I mean, mm-hmm. Portland is just getting destroyed on the glass, getting killed points in the paint, we need Ed Davis. That's one of the biggest reasons why we made it to the second round last year is because we had his hustle, and the team fed off of it. Mm-hmm. So, Tyreek Turner. I, I, when I see him, when I see him do a few dribble moves, that's Tyreek Evans to me. I know. It may be Tyreek Evans, but I'm going to give Evan Turner a lot of credit. He's probably feeling a lot of heat. Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially in Portland, where we're a one-horse town. He got a massive contract. The reports were he went to the Rose Garden earlier that, that morning, shot around, waiting for the game. And yes, his, his, his shot's not falling quite yet. He did shoot 5 of 17. A couple of those were just missed layups where he got the rebound right back and put it up and in. But, you know, he had 14 points, five dimes, five five rebounds, two steals, and he he was one of the people that led that charge in the third quarter. His defense, his ball handling in transition, he was making the right moves. I didn't see a whole lot of poor turnovers in the second half. If he can just get to that sweet spot, eight to ten feet in the paint where he's got that dribble drive, that's where I want him to live. Um, if he shoots one or two threes a game, that's fine. But that's not really his forte, and that's fine. We need players who can get to the rim, get to the foul line. He was 4 for 4 from the stripe, and I just thought he brought that extra energy that we needed. When he missed, he was always there to try to get his rebound, and I think the team feeds off of that. Like It's just when one guy makes a defensive stop, it's going to make you want to go down and play defense 10 times harder. It's Basketball is a game of momentum, and if you can just get that first domino down, it can be like... Um, Speck a snowball and it's going downhill and the whole team feeds off of it. And especially when you're at home and the crowd turns into a frenzy and that's how we saw Portland erase a 17 point deficit and almost, you know, I know Murray hit a lot of deep threes to end the game, but Portland almost won by 17. So that was just a complete 180 of the first half. And I think Evan, despite that odd stat line deserves a lot of credit. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we got, probably Evan and Ed's best performances of the year and walked away victorious. Those two guys are going to be key for us. I am. Um, so when I say he plays like Tyreek Evans, it's not completely a negative thing, but it's when he starts dribbling, you know, it's not going to be a, there's no passing when he's going into the lane. It's a shot. It's going to be a shot. He's not changing his mind. At least that's what I saw when I saw him to, uh, against the Nuggets. Oh, he's shooting this. Oh, he's shooting this. Yeah, he got his rebounds, and I will give him credit. He played good defense. But I don't want Evan Turner 
to sweep 17 times in a game. There's sometimes, in, especially in the first quarter, where I saw him just take shots to take shots. They were one of those possessions where, oh, he didn't need to shoot that, but he did. That's what frustrates me about those type of players is you sh- you take bad shots. But I think he, if he takes the Tyreek Evans role at the heart, he could be a one hell of a sledgehammer, sledgehammer six man off the bench, and I'd take that. But and I think go ahead, go ahead, finish. But I think that if if we're expecting him to contribute in a lot of things, a lot of areas of the game, we can't have him take a bunch of bad shots because it's not his forte. But I still have faith in him. But I'm not thinking of him as a Terry Stotts ball movement player. I think of him as Tyreek Evans. Yeah, I think the experiment will work. It's just going to take time. I've definitely been frustrated it's with gonna, it. It's going to be a frustrating time. But once it hits, he's going to be pretty deadly off the bench. If and we're, what we're his seeing role flashes is, what of it too. Roles. We're that? seeing flashes. We're seeing flashes of what Evan Turner can bring. And when the game starts to come to him in Portland. I just think it's going to work. What reinforced that statement was Isaiah Thomas was asking about the Boston Celtics uh, struggles, and they said, you know, we're weak at the guard position. We really miss Evan Turner right now. That speaks volumes to me because most people thought, oh, that's just an afterthought. They still have Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, Jalen Brown coming in as a third pick, Marcus Smart, Isaiah Thomas. They added Al Horford. They don't need Evan Turner. Well, I think he was a big part chemistry-wise. He's and definitely uh, the second team's ball handler. But I get why they didn't attempt to re-sign him. I think Marcus Smart really needs that responsibility for him to grow as a basketball player. I love his defensive potential, but offensively there's still some things he needs to work on. So Evan Turner was like a a release valve for Marcus Smart a lot. So the luxury. Yeah. But now he's our luxury, and I think if we're just patient, just like the team is being with him, we're gonna we're gonna reap those rewards down down the line. And, and don't get it twisted. We thought this might be a struggle early on for the Blazers, just because I projected us to finish third in the West and 57 wins. I know that sounds incredibly lofty right now. I also thought that they were gonna catch fire as the schedule started to go towards the spring. And remember, we have a heavy slate of home games to end April, so. It's important that Portland's winning these games as ugly as they are because right now we're still 7-4 and four and sitting, I believe, at, at fourth in the West. And that's pretty incredible considering I would give the Blazers overall, they're playing like C basketball. Damian A+, plus, I don't think anybody, maybe CJ is playing above what he did last year um, or at the same level. Mo Harkless coming on lately, but everybody else has taken a slight step back or has just been inconsistent. So if you can look at me, and tell me, hey, the Clippers, Warriors, and Spurs are the only teams out west that are going to have a better record than you after 11 games, you're probably going to take it given that schedule and knowing that it's going to take a while to get Evan Turner acclimated. So if you're a Trailblazers fan, yes, it's ugly basketball right now on the defensive end, but we are finding ways to win. And I think the reason, and we've talked about this, it's Damian Lillard. He was so brilliant against the Nuggets. I'm 32 points. Eight boards, six assists, four steals, 15 of 15 at the line. I don't think people realize how tough it is to shoot 15 free throws and make them all. Go to the park and shoot 15 free throws in in increments and tell me how many times it takes you to make all 15. 
I know from and while you're, that's probably while you're fresh. He hit him in yeah. the fourth quarter when he is fourth quarter when he's tired when he knows the game is on the line. The dude is just amazing. And I was asking you earlier, what parts of his game have you noticed have really ascended and taken his entire game to that next level? We talked about rebounding earlier in the podcast. Um, you mentioned his ability to get to the hoop and get those free throws and just his overall confidence. We have to talk about his defense because I think he's playing a lot better defense and his basketball IQ was very high to begin with, especially coming out of Weber State. Well, those three years of seasoning definitely helped. I mean, we saw him opening that against the Lakers in, in 2011, or excuse me, in 2012, and he looked like a seasoned veteran. Mm-hmm. But he is becoming more intelligent as time goes on, and no play stood out more than on those those tips, those mm-hmm. jump balls. Were oh, stolen. yeah. Man. I mean, he is learning to play crafty defense. He, I don't know if he'll ever be a lockdown defense. Um, I just think average. I'll just take average. That's fine. But he he's playing average, at least average, and he's putting forth a lot of effort, especially with how much he's shouldering on the offensive end. I mean, Dame is averaging thirty point seven points per game. That's third in the league. It, to, I'm just kind of at a loss for words because earlier in his career when he got thirty, I was like, holy shit, Dame went off. That's it's just, just an average everyday thing. It's just a walk in the park for him right now. Can I, all right? I'm gonna be real. If we compete this year, that's awesome. If we don't, I don't care. What matters to me, and I have a feeling what matters to Terry, what matters to Neil O'Shea, is competing in 2018 to 2020. His athletic prime, those years right before his contract, those are the years we really need to... Evan Turner needs to be in his role if he's on the team. All these players need to know their role by then. This year is fun. We have a bunch of toys in our closet. It's fine. We can play around with ro- rotations. But I want shit to be set in 2018 to 2020. So growing pains don't bother me. What I saw from them a few times bothered me. But growing pains, hey, this year, it's cool. I want you to be ready for when shit really matters in a few years. Yeah, and I think if Portland somehow doesn't make it out of the first round of the playoffs, you can't be too quick to call the season a failure because we know it's it could be luck, it could be the matchup. It's tough winning a playoff series. And like you said, this season is is like having a bunch of new toys to, to play with and maybe you trade in a couple of those toys for a, a bigger prize like you do when you're at um, a video arcade and you've got a lot of tickets. That's what's going to be most interesting to me is to see what players are... The, what players are the cream that rises to the crop mm-hmm. and are either keepers or they are assets around the league where you can say, okay, I'm going to package a couple of you guys and I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a guy like Boogie Cousins. Yeah, this year is all fun and games. I win, win 55, win 45. I, I just want to see improvement by our players, our, the core, and see what fits around them. Sometimes... Player uh, GMs bring people in. It doesn't really work out. All I really care about is 2018 to 2020. But this year's fun. I'm I, I'm looking forward to seeing what this team could do. Al Camino, he injured his calf in, in the Clipper game, or excuse me, in the Phoenix game. He, out for a couple of weeks. Portland experimented with Noah Vonleh um, against the Clippers. They've been going to Myers Leonard lately. It doesn't seem like going super big is still 
helping our woes in the paint. Uh, Denver still got 71 rebounds. Um, still, but to be fair, they are the best rebounding team. Yes, yeah. but we're, the Kings still killed us on the glass. Um, I remember looking up and they had almost doubled us up in rebounds at one point. I think it might have been like 46 to 23. I might be exaggerating a, a bit, but it was a huge discrepancy. And if we can't rebound with two seven-footers, um, I know Harkless did a good job. Is is there any solution on this current team? I know they did it last year. Was it because they were missing more shots? I mean, it's hard to go back and look at all that tape, but I know we wanted to look at the scheme. We talked about last podcast. Well, I'd be go. With, with the election, I just did not have the heart to look at how I did, we... Yeah. I, 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 to be no. fair, yes, I am right with you, but... The question still stands. Does Do the Blazers have the personnel to be not even a great, just an average rebounding team? Because I, I, they are not going to win games mm. down the stretch or coming up if they cannot rebound the ball and keep an opponent out of the paint at a decent clip. Damon CJ can only do so much. We don't want to ride them this much this year. I mean, we have got to give... We have to take something off their plate just a little bit. I think that... Since I didn't look at what their scheme is rebounding, I know you didn't look. I think we need another week to really look at it. I think a good test for us next this week is against New Orleans. They aren't a good rebounding team except for Anthony Davis. So if we can gang rebound, it gives me hope. But I really need to see what they do in rebounding situations before I say... Is it just hopeless, or is there something, someone on this team that could step up? I, I, I really need to see what they do in certain situations to give you a real answer. So with the menu out, uh, it obviously opens up a few minutes, and we have seen Jake Lehman come off the bench in regular rotation minutes. He hasn't been getting a ton of time, but he came in and shot the ball extremely well against the Kings. I think he might have had like 11 points. Sage, we saw him go off against the Warriors. He had a couple of really nice plays against the Clippers, albeit both of those games were in garbage time. Is this kid, is he real? Is he a fraud? Or is he somewhere in between right now? I I think he's very confident with what his game right now. I, I got to see what he can do in regular minutes, not in blowout scenarios. Because... You, in garbage time, people put up some pretty false stats. Just look at NFL, look at the NBA. You're not putting your full effort in when you're up 40 or up 38 or whatever. So I want to see what he can do. And with Al Farouk being injured, this opens up a time for him to actually play real big boy minutes. So it, in the games where he played, he was shooting well. He rebounded pretty well for his position. But I got to see more minutes, man. Yeah, I was uh, off a little bit. He played 14 minutes against the Kings, uh, five points, two of three shooting, uh, but he had two two rebounds, two assists. He does get lost on defense, which is to be expected from a rookie. Uh, I mean, how many? How many? Especially a second round pick. Exactly. Not many people will be able to pick up NBA defenses in their first ten games of being a professional. But what I will tell you is. He might have the best stroke on the team. It looks like Ray Allen out there with how quick he shoots it. Maybe a little Clay Thompson, too. Uh, he's got a great follow-through, uh, great uh, height on his release, and he shoots it quick without hesitation, which you need from a shooter. I actually want to see him get more minutes because 
if our guys aren't going to knock down threes, I mean, Harkless has gone cold at times. Uh, Crab has gone cold. Aminu's gone, been inconsistent this year. Layman could come in and, and hit hit some threes. And I know all of those other players give you stuff that Layman doesn't. But this is still a shot maker's league. And if you can make shots, you're going to get some playing time. I, I mean, again, man, twenty. Uh, this is a year for fun. Throw him out. See what the kid's got. If he turns into something, changes our friend. If there's a 10% chance that he turns into a legitimate player, you have to see that through. Because getting a real good player in the second round is so rare. It happens every year, but it's so rare that it's your team that gets that second round pick that's good. That's a franchise changer. So if he can be that, what what he can do? He's had three pretty good games so far, but I can already tell you I was completely wrong about the draft. I was so set on Gary Payton the second, and when we drafted Jake Layton, I was like, who? I, I was so mad. And that's, Yeah, you were a little salty. So that's why you really got to take a step back and be like, guys get paid to do this for a living. You're not always going to be right. Most of the time, you're going to be wrong. Uh, kudos to Neil Olshay. The dude can fucking draft, especially in the second round. I mean, we're talking Will Barton a couple years ago. Now Jake Lehman looks like he could be a solid player. He traded for Alan Crabb in the second round as well. So this isn't Neil Olshay's first time, first rodeo either. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing, and you can question his free agent signings all you want. The dude can fucking draft, and he has a golden gut when it comes to picks. And Portland's got three picks in the next two drafts. So, like you said, Sage, there could be more toys in the chest for Rip City coming coming soon. Uh, before we look into the next week's slate of games, uh, let's take a quick break and thank our sponsors for sponsoring another episode of Holy Backboard. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard podcast, Warby Parker is offering a free five-day home try-on give you an opportunity to check out their classes. Warby Parker keeps their styles highly curated, fashion forward, extremely wearable, while including high quality lenses and coatings at no additional cost. It's everything you need in one easy package for your glasses needs. To get your home try-on today, go to warbyparkertrial.com slash holybackboard. Again, that's warbyparkertrial.com slash holybackboard for your free five-day try-on. All right, Rip City, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Sage, it is never too early for a great trade rumor. Uh, News just came out today about DeMarcus Cousins. And one Western Conference general manager, obviously anonymous, uh, told the Sporting News. He says, I'd say they have three months tops. Uh, Probably more like a month or a month and a half. Because the closer they get to the February trade deadline, the less they're going to get back. If, you, if you're trying to trade him the week of the deadline, it's going to be tougher. Sage, he's under contract for this year and next year, I believe. He's still, I think, a top 15 player in the league. Absolutely. But if you're the Kings, I think you have nobody else to blame but yourself because they continue to make poor draft picks and put poor pieces around him. Um, that environment has been toxic almost since day one. They've, I think they've had five coaches in the past five years. The ownership group has changed. They didn't even know if they were going to keep the, the team in Sacramento. 
I don't think you can blame this entirely on Cousins or whether you think he's a hothead or not. Yes, he plays with a lot of aggression. Yes, he plays with, you know, a temper. Rashid Wallace did too, and I fucking loved him. I mean, I shit, think- if you're talking about playing with emotion, Damian Lillard plays with emotion. That's fine. And you know what? We have a culture that has been established where you can take on one of these personalities. But if, if you're the Kings, obviously you know you're not going to get full value for DeMarcus Cousins because if you make a player available, teams know they smell blood in the water. They know they don't have to pay top dollar. They can mm. get you for 75 cents on dollar because they know he is going to eventually leave. I think if you're Portland and you're looking to acquire that third star, you have to hope that the Denver Nuggets and the Boston Celtics are uninterested, uh, especially the Celtics because they did just pick up Al Horford, and I don't think that's a really great fit with Horford and Cousins. Um, and just think, Boogie loves Mike Malone. Loves him. He does love Mike Malone, but again, if, if you're Cousins, I don't think you're staying in Denver past 2018 either. I, I don't think it makes them um, great. Denver needs to hit a couple more draft picks, and then I mean, I just think if you trade him to Denver, you're you're in the same situation as you are in Sacramento. You got a couple good players in Boogie. Well, I think Boogie would be motivated, which kind of scares me. I mean, he played legit basketball with Mike Malone, and then they went off and fired him. It's fucking outrageous. So if if you're Portland, obviously you can't trade guys like Alan Crabber and Mo Harkless until January 15th because they signed uh, as restricted free agents. I believe Myers can be traded a little bit earlier. I think maybe it's December 15th. December 15th because he re-signed with the team. He, we didn't match a certain offer. Um, so it's going to be some time. I think if you're Neil O'Shea, you monitor that situation. Um, you see how, how bad it goes. You also maybe look at other players on teams that are underperforming. Uh, the Orlando Magic had really high hopes. This season, they had a lot of young players. I know Serge Ibaka hit that game winner to beat the Thunder. He had a great game against his former team. But he's a guy that, you know, yes, he could be a one-year rental, but depending on what you could get, you know, what do you have to give up? Can you get a value there? Um, There's just other players. Paul Millsap, who could be a free agent this year as well. Portland just needs to be patient and wait for the perfect trade to come their way. I'm not advocating for a trade right now, but I think anybody who has seen this team knows we have one too many players. And Festus Azili hasn't even played yet. So you need to get these guys into a rhythm, and the only way they get into a rhythm is if they get playing time. Perfect example is Myers Leonard and Noah Vonley. Both have shown really good signs when they've gotten consistent minutes, but I wouldn't be surprised once Aminu comes back that we both that they both start getting DNPs on a rotating basis. And it's really hard, especially for young players, to just show up and not know when they're going to play. It's like a pinch hitter in baseball. It's damn near impossible to hit cold coming off the bench. And that's what you're asking these, you know, third and fourth year players to do when they really have never had consistent minutes their entire career. So I think you just got to be patient if you're Portland, but pick your spots because this could be a great market for them to, to pounce on. I feel like if a trade is available for a home run, so DeMarcus, I would take up Serge. I would take up Paul Millsap. I love Paul Millsap. If that becomes available, you take that chance. Neil O'Shea has shown that he can hit singles and doubles. Getting that home run, getting that star player is much more difficult. So if you can get one trading, you take that. I don't care if DeMarcus has an attitude. 
You think he's gonna have an attitude when Damian Lillard's his teammate? I don't think so. Paul Millsap's a little old, but you know what? He's got superstar talent, and we liked him when he was the Utah Jazz and offered him a pretty major contract. You take those shots when you can get them, and when you're Portland, you don't get that many shots at a at, at superstars. So you gotta pounce with if something becomes available. And I think the biggest key is to watch Mason Plumley. We did not sign him to an extension. He will be a restricted free agent. Depending on how this season goes or is going, if you're Neil O'Shea, how do you go to Paul Al and say, hey, we're going to just match any offer for Mason Plumley? He's likely going to get that 14 to $15 million range. He's a young big um, teams throw. I mean, look at Timothy Mozgov. He got $17 million, and you don't think Mason Plumley's going to get that? You're you know, sorely mistaken. We're already very close to the luxury tax level. I know Paul Allen has just buku bucks, but... You don't want to... Eventually, the Portland Trailblazers are going to be repeaters in luxury tax. I know we don't want to do that because it's fucking expensive. Not only is it expensive, but then you have a lot of untradeable contracts on your hands, and you end up looking like the New York Knicks. Yes, we would have Damon CJ, I know, so it's a completely different situation. But they had so many bad contracts that to try to get rid of them, their GM made really poor trades involving draft picks, and they really still haven't got out of that rut. So just because we have an owner who can shell out huge dollars, we have to make sure these contracts still are valuable to other GMs around the league. And just think if Boogie has a good contract. Paul Millsap probably won't. Paul Millsap's been historically underpaid his entire career. I don't think he's going to want super extra star bucks. You have to be smart with some of these picks. Yeah, there's a lot of money out there, but eventually that money is going to. We're going to no set prices. I don't want to be a te- the team that can't afford to make a trade that will help our playoff chances. All but right, yeah, Sage. always willing to take book. I, I, I don't care about any attitude. So moving on from just some wonderful November trade talk, let's look ahead at another four-game four week for the Trailblazers. I believe we both correctly hit every game last week, three and one, so air high five. I think you're winning this uh, year because of my bad week. Two. I think I'm up by one. Yeah. But... I have a feeling we're probably going to agree on every game coming up, which yeah. which which is fine, but let's dive in anyways because it is important that Portland hits this home stretch of November strong because it's a road heavy and they get one more home game. So the Bulls end a three-game homestand. We get Chicago on uh, tomorrow in Portland. It seems like every year the Bulls come to Portland in November. Uh, you death taxes and playing Chicago in November in Portland pretty much set your clock to it. It's going to happen for the trailblazers. It's going to be, they have to show up with more energy. We mentioned that Denver game. They looked like zombies out there that you could tell there was no effort. And what I love is coach dots is usually someone who is laid back and low key and will, you know, talk calmly through these things from all accounts. Mason Plumley said it was a speech for the ages he was redder than red and probably just verbally went at those guys. And what's beautiful, they responded. They, they knew they were playing weak. They knew they had to start showing up, and, and they did. But doing it against Denver at home is one thing. 
Chicago is a veteran team who has players. They're not going to let you back in a game. So I think from the opening tip, you need to look and see, are the Blazers revitalized? Are are they rejuvenated? Uh, I know when they came together after they beat the Nuggets, the sound mic picked up Dame telling the team, you know, we got one more at home. We got to protect home court. I think they, it's really on their minds, but for the Bulls, they are without Michael Carter-Williams with a knee injury. Oh my God, that's so scary. And Doug McDermott is... That's uh, one of their few shooters. He's not known if he's going to play. He's coming off of a concussion. But it's going to be a game where Portland has to turn their weakness into a strength. They have to pack the paint and force Chicago to beat them from deep. Chicago does not like shooting threes. They're not particularly um, great at them. They take 21.33 three-pointers a game, which is fourth fewest. And they make 7.5 threes a game, which is seventh fewest. Um, Only Jimmy Butler, who shoots about 43%, is the only Chicago Bull shooting over 37% from three. And if I'm the Blazers, I am doing whatever I can to send help to the paint. And if that's leaving Rajon Rondo... How do you feel about him as a player? I think he's going to go down as... Maybe, unfortunately or not, a Rudy Gay-type player who you just can't win with. Yes, yes, I know he won with the Celtics, but they also had fucking Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce. But after that core broke up, he he's he, I think he's, he's a fourth player. He's a fourth wheel. I mean, I don't think you can combine him in any sense of any big three because they didn't do really shit once that team broke up. And he's bounced around, um, I think, just in today's NBA... And it's crazy to say that because he he's only been playing since 06. In the last three or four years, if you cannot shoot, you're going to be a liability in this league. And teams are just going to sag off of you. And they're smart. And they're going to find different ways to um, exploit that on the defensive end. Whether it's double teaming, you know, playing four on five. We saw the Warriors do that a couple years ago against Tony Allen. I think they put Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen and just let him roam around the perimeter while Bogut just did his own thing. Mm. That's something I would like to see the Blazers do. Make Rajon Rondo shoot a jump shot. And if he makes it, okay, then you have to go play straight-up defense. If he doesn't, you need to utilize that guy to almost play as like a free safety. And Wade knows how to get into the post. Butler is a, uh, is a slasher. Uh, we've seen what Rolo can do. Um, make those guys pass the ball. Rondo, one thing he does do is pass the ball fantastically, but if he doesn't have it, he can't do it. I, he's He's kind of a Ricky Rubio now. Play, he sort of plays defense. He's a really good passer, but can't shoot. I don't know how you can play him in the NBA as a starter because of how bad of a, defend, a defender he is. Or how, uh, how much of a liability he is shooting. But I know coaches love him because of how creative he is as a passer. So I think he'll have a job for a few more years, but it's just such a liability. So would you double? Would you his man let his man double and, and play kind of like a freelance defense? If yeah, you see? as soon he's got to make a few before I switch that up. What, I mean, I, at least at least sag off of him and crash the glass. I think whoever guards him has to crash the glass because my X factor is the Blazers need to limit the Chicago second chance points. The Bulls get sixteen point four second chance points a night. That's third best in the league. They have the number one offensive rebounding team at 13.6. Portland needs to crash the glass on the defensive end, limit their possessions, 
And if it's Dame or CJ who have both shown um, the ability to get 10 plus rebounds in any given night, you need whenever the ball goes up in the air, you need to not go down to the other end of the court. You it's got to gotta be gang. It's got to be gang rebounding. Rolo loves to box yeah. out, so you're expecting Dwayne Wade or Jimmy Butler to crash on offense. So you, it has to be gang rebounding. It has to be a team effort. There's no, it's not just one dude. It has to be a a concerted effort for you to get for them to get the rebound. So, what's your X factor, Sage? I think it's got to be rebounding, man. It, we've been so consistently bad at rebounding. This is one of these games where this has to be a team effort. If if the starting five all get six plus rebounds, I think we're winning this game. It feels like an Evan Turner game going up against his hometown team of Chicago. He's coming off of a pretty decent night, especially by the season standards. Uh, I've got a feeling it's, it's 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 ET. Do you have you get that sense at all? I think it's a heartless game. I'll take that as well. But uh, I mean, do you have the Blazers. Oh Go yeah. Ahead. Well, just think we need some pretty good perimeter defense. So I think it could be a heartless Turner game because. Wayne Wade may be old, but you still have to pay him some respect on defense. So I can see both of those players getting some pretty good PT and attempting to shut Butler and Wade down. What's your prediction, my friend? I think the Blazers win. It's at home, right? Yeah, I think the Blazers win. I know we have a weird record, but home home versus road win-loss. But I'm going to roll with the team I think is more complete. And I think that's the Portland Trailblazers. You know the team knows there's a five-game home uh, road road trip coming up. You do not want to lose your last home game before heading out onto the road, especially with the Rockets looming. I think the Blazers take care of business. I do think they show up out of the gates. I've got them winning. I think they might win by like eight or nine. Um, hopefully they can start to win a little bit more comfortably and not have to go back and forth down to the wire on every every possession. But uh, speaking of the Rockets, it does kick off the first of five games on the road. It starts Thursday, November 17th, uh, 5 p.m. Uh, the first of just three matchups with the Houston Rockets. Uh, no Patrick Beverly. Uh, he has a knee injury. But can Portland slow down, Sage, these new-look Rockets? Yes, they are just 6-4. and four, But James Harden has been a problem this year. Call up the Mike D'Antoni stat bump or whatever you want to call it but uh he's number five in points per game 30.3 number one in assists per game 12.6 but he does turn the ball over more times than any player in the nba at 5.7 times per game sage if if you're the trailblazers and you don't need to worry about going big against a rockets front line that's that showcases clint capella and ryan anderson Without playing to the strength of the Rockets and going small, really what can the Blazers do to slow down this up-tempo Rockets team? I think you have to stay very disciplined on defense. I think it's I think it's natural to sag when dribble penetration happens, but if it's CJ guarding Eric Gordon or if it's Mo Harkless guarding Ryan Anderson, which I think should be the matchup, you've got to stay on these guys. What uh, what James Harden is doing a lot is dribble penetration and kicking it to those two on the wings for an open shot. Eric Gordon in catch-and-shoot situations is very deadly. Same with Ryan Anderson. I think that you can let Harden get his because 
I, I don't know if we have someone on the team that can stop him or even contain him, but I don't think you can let Clint Capella catch those lobs, Ryan Anderson shoot those threes, and same with Eric Gordon shoot those threes. So if you're Terry Stotts, you said you would put Harkless on Ryan Anderson. Who starts for you at power forward? I do not think you can start Myers Leonard. No, absolutely not. I've been thinking a lot. There's like 10 teams you can play Myers Leonard. This is not one of those teams that you can even risk him. I'd go Vonley, but again, Brian Anderson has always had trouble shooting against athletic threes that can match his length and are faster than him. Put Myers Leonard on him, he's blowing by him for dunks. We've so, seen that every time Ryan Anderson's played the Trailblazers. He, would you put Vonley on Trevor Rezavin? I think so. I do not I don't want Ryan Anderson to get hot at all. And the way you do that is have more Harkless. If Alfred Camino was there, I'd feel really confident. But Mo Harkless has to step up and play great defense on Ryan Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I think the key to this game for me is defending the three-point arc. Uh, Houston is number one in three-point attempts per game at 36.6. Number one in three-point makes per game at 13.6. And and they hit him at a a really efficient clip there, fourth-best team. Um, shooting the shooting the ball from downtown at 37.2%. Um, that's going to be tough because, like you said, you're going to have James Harden probably having his way in the paint. So if you try to sag or help, he's got shooters all mm-hmm. around him. I, I think it really starts at the point of attack. You have to force James Harden to settle for those contested twos, even long threes, even if you're playing back a couple of uh, possessions. You have to force him to shoot. So, that. who would you have guarding James Harden mostly? I mean, that's a tough one. I would, I would probably put Mo Harkless on James Harden, or I would start Alan Crab um, for Myers and put Crab on him. If you do go Harkless, I think you can get. I think you can survive with Dame on Trevor Ariza, and then put probably Vonley on a Ryan Anderson or a, a player like that, but. This is a game where you're really going to miss Al Farouk Aminu if you're Portland. I think Evan Turner might have a huge one just because of how – I mean, I don't think there is a Blazers podcaster, blogger, fan that knows Ryan Anderson as well as I do just based on how long I've watched this person, this man play. I think it, it it's going to be a Mo Harkless – I think Evan Turner should guard James Harden. James Harden is more of a me, me, me type of offensive player. One of the things I really hope CJ or whoever plays against Eric Gordon, you can let him dribble. He, because of his latent disregard disregard for his own career, he has lost a lot of athleticism. If Eric Gordon is trying to dribble, you won that possession. He, there's no way he's lifting up, jumping up, and slamming it on you. So what I would do is have CJ just say, here's what you're doing this game. You're staying on him. You're sticking to him. Bo, you are on Ryan Anderson. Don't let him get comfortable. If he go, goes by you, he's going to take a, a bad fadeaway jumper. James Harden, you can go for 60. It's cool. We can't let anyone else. I mean, that that's how you stop the Rockets. You can't let these dudes shoot threes. Because once they start hitting, they get scary. I don't want Eric Gordon to get comfortable at all. Same with Ryan Anderson. And 
They love running pick and roll with Clint Capella for alley oops. So Mason has to stay looking out for that. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a high scoring game. It probably could be the first to 125 wins. You look at the Rockets, they are ninth in the league in scoring at 107.8. Portland's actually fourth at 108.7. Neither team's going to play a lick of defense. Portland is the second worst defensive team points per game wise. They allow 111.1. Houston, uh, 18th, 104.8. I think it's going to come down to whichever team makes the other team work on defense. I, if Portland gets into a quick, sh- quick gunslinging shootout, they're probably going to lose, uh, especially uh, playing on the road. We need to work the ball around the perimeter, uh, work pick and roll, cut without the basketball. This team is a poor defensive team. Personnel-wise, they probably could be the worst in the NBA. Whoever is guarding Harden, go at him. Make him work on defense to take some of his energy away on offense. Um, Portland is just going to have to play a smart game and not get caught up in uh, a Wild West shootout. Who do you think is going to score a lot besides the consistent two? Because I have mine. On Portland? Yeah. I've got a big feeling that Crab is going to show up. I think this could be a layman game where he gets hot from three. Uh, there's, to be honest, Age, I think Portland's probably going to put up 120 plus. I think they're going to have to if they're going to win because the Rockets, um, they give up 116.5 in losses this year. So look for that. And Portland has to score in the 120s to get this victory. I think, so I think points are going to be a plenty for a lot of players. I think Mo Harkless. Again, I know you have to play defense, but this is going to be whoever Ryan Anderson is guarding on offense, run, pick, and roll. Get that switch so Ryan Anderson is guarding Damian Lillard. Attack, 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 attack. Because there's no way that James Harden and Ryan Anderson are going to make a good switch on a pick and roll consistently. Those two just don't have it in them. So I would abuse the pick and roll a lot. So whoever is the roll man, expect that pass because James Harden is not going to put up any effort on that pick and roll. And like we mentioned when we played the Warriors earlier this year, you cannot settle for jump shots. They are not a good interior defending team. Neither is Houston. Attack the paint. Live in the paint. Uh, If Portland would have done that, that Golden State game would have been a lot more competitive. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling if they try to get into a shootout, it it could get ugly, especially being the first game on the road. Um, Sage, what is your X factor for that game against Houston? Offensively, it's the pick and roll. I think out defensively, it is staying out on the shooters. Yeah, for me, it's defending without fouling. Uh, Portland gives up the second most free throw attempts to opponents at 30.5. Um, Harden is notorious for living at the line. He's probably slightly down this year. He's only sixth in the NBA at 9.6 free throw attempts per game, but he has had some monster nights against uh, Terry Stott's coach defense. We cannot let them live at the line. It's going to be a long night. Unfortunately, I think they are going to. We still have a lot of kinks to work on in defense, especially without the Chief. I think we're going to get into some foul trouble. Uh, I think we'll make a game of it, but I I do not have a good feeling about this. I think we probably could lose by, I don't even know. I, I could see us losing by two, losing by ten. I just don't think we're going to get it done. I would love to be wrong. What's your prediction? I think you're absolutely and positively wrong. They can be stopped. I think we'll do it. I think we'll be close. But I I trust Dame last second over Harden. I think yeah, I think the Blazers are gonna win. Okay. 
So the second night of a back-to-back was also the second game of the five-game trip. Uh, the Trailblazers head to the Crescent City to take on your New Orleans Pelicans Sage. Uh, the two and nine Pelicans, the no longer worst team in the NBA Pelicans, the Boston Celtic beating Pelicans. Sage, I didn't bother to do any stats for this game because you said, and I quote, we're getting Drew Holiday back soon, so nothing matters. I honestly just went to Anthony Davis' stat page and saw 31.1 points per game, 10.7 rebounds, three blocks, a PER of 30.95. That is the X factor. That is everything you need to know. Just slow him down minimally. You are going to win the game. Can I make a prediction? There's no Quincy Pondexter and there's no Tyreek Evans. I think Damian Lillard's going to go for 45, 15 assists, maybe seven rebounds. I think Anthony Davis will go for about 45, 15 boards, three blocks. Drew Holiday is going to be back either Wednesday or Friday. I think that that changes everything offensively for the the New Orleans Pelicans. They started Tim Frazier, Etwan Moore, Solomon Hill. Ugh. AD and Osher. Remember when you liked that Solomon Hill signing? Can, Remember? Uh, Remember Sage? I didn't know how bad of an offensive player he is. I think defensively, he's elite. I think he's really good defensively. Just so negative. Like, you know plus minus? He's a plus defender, but super negative offensively. So he actually is barely positive. So that signing is awful. I guess I was wrong with him as the DM3 player. Good thing that podcast actually never went out. But I think I think Dave's going off. I think he'll he'll get super in the zone because it's Tim Frazier. Even though Drew's back, he's going to be a rusty, rusty, rusty point guard. CJ's going to look to get buckets too. I th- Here's what gives me pause about saying CJ's going off against the Pelicans. Last year, it was Eric Gordon. I expected him to go off. He actually was in my DFS roster that night. Each one more is not Eric Gordon. He actually can play defense. I would expect it to be a Mo Harkless and Damian Lillard night. I think CJ's going to struggle a little bit. He did struggle against the Bulls in Chicago uh, last season. Portland did get that victory, but I remember CJ um, put up some ugly stat line. I think that was his game... His mother called him and said, hey, am I going to have to start looking for work? Um, are you going to be in the league for much longer? Obviously, give him a little bit of shit. But, uh, you know, he took it like a champ and obviously performed amazing down the stretch and into the playoffs. But what gives me hope that CJ is going to continue to have a big night is he's been putting up big numbers. And my favorite story or moment during that Denver game was he had Gallo ISOed. And it, it turned out to be Ed Davis. But he, he just said, like, work that ass, CJ, or get in that ass. And CJ gave him buckets. And it's just, that's Ed Davis. That's why people love Ed Davis. Just, like, just talking shit. And I, there was a couple times I think Moutier ha- uh, hoisted up a three and it missed. You can just hear somebody yell, hell no. Um, just, like, playground basketball. I love that shit. And I think Ed Davis brings it to us. I think it's going to be a game where... Dame's going to get his, but it, it's got to be the bench. AC's got to hit some shots. Uh, we're going to need Mason Plumley to play well. I know he's not off the bench, but the bigs, the unusual suspects, yeah. need to become the usual well, suspects. Well, Mason needs to play good defense today, uh, that day. Anthony Davis has... Have you seen him play yet this year? I have not. 
You're in for a tr- I, I've I've unfortunately watched every single Anthony Davis second. His offense has improved a lot. I I don't know how you stop Anthony Davis. The way you stop him is you double and triple team him and force it to Solomon Hill or Tim Frazier or Dante Cunningham. But if I'm the Blazers, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just let Anthony Davis go off because you know Solomon Hill, Etwan Moore, Dante Cunningham, etc. Those guys aren't likely to have big nights. So why wouldn't I let Anthony get? I mean, we've, this is the same Anthony Davis who scored, I think, what fifty-one on the opening night, and you guys still lost the mm. game. I think that that team is surprisingly the Pelicans are a lot better than they were. I think that Anthony Davis is pretty amazing. That those role players and the people that they brought in are actually starting to hit sand Solomon Hill. He actually had a good few plays today, but I, I think you gotta let AD have his. I know it's I know when he's gonna when he gets like twenty or thirty, the 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 temptation is to double. You can't let each one or Langston or Solomon Dante Cunningham get shots. Do you think Myers can actually play against Omer Ashik? Oh yeah, I think yeah. that's a great matchup for Myers. Mm-hmm. And then Mace, Mace, and then Vonley cycled in against Anthony Davis. Yeah, you're gonna have to, and I think you're gonna have to force eighty out to the perimeter. I know he can hit that shot, but I would rather have he's him like four for shoot 30. jumpers. I shoot threes. He can hit jumpers. Yeah. Well, I'd still let him. I would just like with you know the greats like Kobe and and LeBron. You want them to shoot jumpers. You know they're likely to make them, but you have a much higher success rate of them shooting a jump shot than them getting to the bucket and probably getting fouled and getting your defenders in foul trouble and then getting rid of them at the foul line. It just starts to go downhill once they start living in that paint, um, and that's what he's shown the abilities to do in the past. So if I'm a def- if I'm Terry Stotts and I'm running that defense, I start out and I probably let him shoot from the perimeter. If he starts getting hot, then I, I pick a defender who may be having a cold shooting night. Maybe it's... Um, Solomon, and and I bring his defender over maybe from different angles just to try to get the ball out of his hands, disrupt things a little bit. Maybe you're trapping Tim Frazier at half court just just to throw them a different. I bet look. you Dame is gonna trap Frazier at half court just as a we're buds, but I'm gonna fuck you up this game. I really could see Dame getting fifty and AD getting fifty. I don't know how he's how the other team stops him. And you know your boy's going to be fucking quiet as a mouse that game. I ain't saying shit unless some dirty shit happens. Who is your X-Factor? Or what is your X-Factor, I should say? Who's going to... Alright. Oh, one thing I got to talk about for the Pelicans defensively. They switch on everything. So, if you can work that to your advantage, you could do something, potentially. I will say that Langston, each one, and Solomon switch pretty perfectly. But if it's Frazier, if it's someone else, you you switch them and you confuse them. Because Buddy Heald isn't a good defender. Uh, Dante Cunningham tries hard, but isn't a good defender. It, I think it's who outsmarts the other coach with their game plan. It should be a high-scoring night. No defense being played except for like five minutes. Yeah, I'm I think going Blazers the, win, obviously. 
I think the X factor is bench scoring. This will be Portland playing on the second night of a back-to-back. We need to use our depth to our advantage. Um, no disrespect intended, but Portland is obviously the more talented team. Absolutely. We need, we need those guys to each play their role and to play defense. I think if they just play defense, the offense will come to them. Um, I like Portland to win. I think you have to get this. If you're looking at the the, the road trip and the goal is to go at least – I mean, you can't go 500 on a five-game trip, so you want to go three and two. You have to schedule the Pelicans and the Brooklyn Nets as wins if, if you're going into this and hoping you get one from Houston, New York, or Cleveland. So to me, this is almost a must-win for the Blazers as they are trying to stay ahead above everybody else in the Northwest Division. I think they'll know that, and I think they do leave Smoothie King Arena with a victory. And it brings us to the last game of the week, uh, another matinee. The first one was kind to Portland. They won 194 against the Memphis Grizzlies. This time it will be a 12:30 start in Brooklyn against I the hope Big John plays some dope shit. Oh, you got to play some uh when you play uh in Brooklyn. But the Nets, they are much better than anticipated. They play hard for Kenny Atkinson. They are off to I mean it's an early start um this they game some which that they should have known which, you know, could throw off the timing for Portland if they're playing, if they're still on West Coast time or not, even if you're not on West Coast time. Like, still 3.30 is an early and odd start. But the Nets, they're better than anticipated. They're playing without Jeremy Lin right now. And Sean Kilpatrick's playing really well right now. Like you said, they've got a new coach. They it, It's early, so they've almost just got that just, you know, start of the season enthusiasm. And that's really dangerous when you're playing a team like that. Portland already saw what can happen when you play a team at the beginning of the season, uh, who was young and was less talented. The Phoenix Suns, they bit us in the ass. This could happen, too, if Portland doesn't take them seriously. Do you sense a Philadelphia from last year type of vibe going on in this game? Where they take them too easy? Uh, I wasn't until now, so no. <laughs> um, I mean, usually, usually those type of games don't happen until you get into the dog days of the NBA schedule, a January or February, which I think Philadelphia was mid to late January. Uh, this is still too early. This is still the first road trip of the season. Portland needs to realize they have to take care of business because there's going to be a lot of road games. We've mentioned the schedule really helps them in April. Well, until you get to April, you're going to have to play those 12 extra road games, mm-hmm. and you cannot let games like this just slide by, especially when you see the Jazz who they had a nice road trip where they beat uh, the Knicks, they beat the Magic, they beat the Heat, and they were doing, yes, they lost tonight at home to Memphis, but they won the road games they were supposed to. If you're Portland and you're trying to get to that 55-ish win mark, you got to win these games. And to me, there is no bigger storyline than the Blazer backcourt. They must feast. You look at Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, who combined for about 53 points, five threes made a game, uh, 14 free throws attempted. You look at the Brooklyn Nets, Sean Kilpatrick and, and Boyan Bogdanovich. They combined for just 28.8 points, uh, three and a half threes, and they only get to the line about seven and a half Yeah, times. Sean Kilpatrick isn't much of a three-point shooter. But what I will say about Sean, he can play some defense. He's well-built and has athleticism where he can defend. I like Sean Kilpatrick a lot. Unfortunately for me and my eyeballs, I've watched Brooklyn play about four times. Brook Lopez has extended his range to the three-point line. Trevor Booker is pretty consistent for a trash big. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson can lock you up. 
what the Brooklyn Nets are going to do and what they're going to try to do every time is they're playing for their coach, they're going to play hard, and they're going to put effort into these games. What the Blazers need to do is match and better those efforts because they are the more talented team. You can't let Sean Kilpatrick get to the rim at will. You can't let Bodon spot up from three. You can't forget that Brooke Lopez has a three-point shot on the pick and pop. you got to contest, 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 and you will win this game. Or they will win the game. We're not playing. but Yeah, I think for Portland, you're absolutely right. They need to win. You look at that hustle board stat they have hanging up at the Rose Garden. Rebounds. Steals blocks. If Portland is a, a plus in those three categories combined, they are going to win the game. They do have to show more effort. Uh, Trevor Booker is a sneaky blazer killer. Uh, there was a game just about 18 months ago of that on April 11th of 2015. He was a member of the Jazz. He had 36 and 9 against the Blazers. This dude has Ken Freed type of potential to make our life a living hell if we don't match their effort and intensity. To me, Portland wins this game if Dame and CJ do what they did to the Jazz last year and like did like a 64 to 16 um, comparison in, in points, which I could see happening. So Dame and CJ have to get hot, but Portland also just they they have to show up and they have to match Brooklyn's energy. And I think it's another game where you need to attack the basket because Booker's a good rebounder, Lopez is a good offensive scorer. Neither of them is going should deter our our guards from getting to the basket. So. Take some chances, go to the hoop, maybe get them in foul trouble, and get Brooke Lopez out of that game. Could you? Uh, I think what Dame some pick and rolls too. Yeah. What Dame needs to do is try and get Sean Kilpatrick into some foul trouble. They don't have guards right now. They just cut Jared Jack. No, he was on Atlanta. I think they just cut Randy Foy. So they are really limited on guards. If you attack Kilpatrick, Bode gone. Or whatever, however you say his name, I've gotten in trouble for saying these Euro guys' last names wrong or first names wrong. But you can't let those guards uh, go off again. This is not a inside scoring team. It's a lot of outside. This is just the low budget Atlanta Hawks. They are trying to pick and pop you to death. And I don't want the Blazers to take this game. They have to put their effort in, and if they put effort in, they'll win. So, what is your X Factor, Sage? Say, oh, Sean Kilpatrick is another Sage man crush, if you guys haven't figured that one out yet. Uh, so, hopefully, he, he performs like Chris Middleton did during his man crush game last year. And Jeremy Grant missing that last second free throw. But, uh, X Factor, be conscious of what Brooklyn is trying to do on offense and defense. Just be prepared for what they're trying to throw at you. Because you'd assume that they play one way when it's the exact opposite. I think my X factor is going to be making Brooke Lopez mobile in the defensive situations. Mason handles the ball a lot out of the top of the key. If we can work a lot of pick and rolls, see if Brooke wants to go with the, the dribbler and try to stop a Dame or CJ from getting the cup. If he does that, throw the lob over the top to Mace. Or if he sticks with Mace, that's going to allow Dame or CJ to get to the bucket. Uh, that's my X factor. I think you need to play him like you do Rudy Gobert. Any really big big who is just tall, has a huge ass wingspan, and it takes up a lot of space. Get them moving. Get them out of their comfort zone and keep them off balance. I think another uh, X factor, like we mentioned against the Rockets, don't just settle for quick jump shots because you're playing the Brooklyn Nets. 
you really need to work your offense and get the shot you're looking for because more times than not, if you just execute your offense and pass the ball, your shot's going to come to you. I've got the Blazers winning. I think this is another must win for them. If you're looking if you're looking in April at the standings and you're separated by a game or two, it's probably going to be because of games like the New Orleans Pelicans and Brooklyn Nets, If whether you're up in the standings or below. You can't look back in those games and have any regrets, have any what-ifs. We already have one of those this year against the Phoenix Suns. We really need to limit those those opportunities, or not those opportunities. We need, really need to limit those types of performances. So I've got them winning. What about you, Sage? I have them winning as well. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for us, Rip City. It's about 11.26 here on a Monday. But if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please uh, give us uh, that five-star rating on iTunes. Give us that subscription. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. We are also on the social medias, Instagram and Twitter at Holy Backboard. And if you want to send us an email, you can do so at holybackboard at gmail.com. Sage, it has been another amazing episode to record with you. I uh, can't wait to do this again after the Brooklyn game. Any last words? Go Blazers. 4-0 week. Make me right. Go Blazers. You heard him. Make him right. Let's go 4-0. Let's get it.
Let's go!